Alright, welcome ladies and gentlemen to another episode of Mike the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Rorick, with uh, my partner in crime over there, Mr. Sean Williams. How you doing tonight, Sean? You know, that's not the first time today that the word crime and my name have been mentioned in the same sentence. But that that's another for another time. Uh, how are you doing tonight, bro? I'm doing alright. Uh... I, I live in a house of the plague right now. My wife is sick. My daughter's sick. Uh, the other two, I don't know where they are. They're, I mean, I know they're in Lafayette, but I don't know if they're sick or not. But I am like ODing on vitamin C, emergency, and everything else to try to avoid this stuff. So God knows. <laughs> I might be coming into you next week with uh, with the bubonic plague. I have no idea. Tuberculosis, scarlet fever, malaria. Some syphilis, something well, like that. <laughs> oh, wait a minute now. <laughs> that that conversation went completely took a turn. But at the risk of uh, of derailing that whole conversation, let's. Uh, <laughs> we want to welcome everybody to Under the Dome. Our uh, our labor of love, if as it is. Uh, Welcome you guys to episode 17.02, the second episode in the two, the 2017 season. Uh, we want to put bills real quick. We are sponsored by Fan First Network. Uh, we invite you guys to tune in to our shows on YouTube and also on iTunes, uh, which is the audio only version of our podcast. We invite you guys to please subscribe to the uh, to our channels on those uh, those stations. Uh, let's see, we have an announcement to make. Uh, something that we've been working really hard on. Uh, I am very pleased to announce that two weeks from tonight, we are going to have. The legend of legends when it comes to the Houdat Nation. We are very pleased to announce and jacked up tell you guys that our guest two weeks from tonight will be none other than Hollywood himself, Mr. Joe Horn. Just right here on the Under the Dome podcast. And uh, we want to let you guys know uh, right now some of the things that Mr. Horn is involved in, uh, the Future Stars League, which is basically a youth league of football. Uh, you can follow his uh, this these things on uh, Future Stars League, or excuse me, at Futures underscore Stars 12 on Twitter, and Got Hands University which is an, uh, another subsidiary of, the, of that whole uh, project. Uh, I'm pleased to announce to you that Under the Dome will be one of the title sponsors for the Louisiana All-Stars versus the Mississippi All-Stars in the uh, Stars League, which is a game that will be taking place on June the 17th. Uh, we'll have more details of this coming up in future weeks um we invite you guys to follow us on twitter 
Uh, Alan is at 79 Saints. I am at Drew's Day 3721. And we are at Under the Dome PO1. And now we're going to bring in our guest tonight. Uh, he's a friend of our show. He's been on before. He's probably the uh, the foremost knowledgeable guy that uh, that I feel blessed to call my friend on the uh, the subject of free agency in the National Football League. And uh, we want to want you guys to help us welcome from the Connect Street Chronicles now. Mr. Bob Rose, how are you, Bob? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Sean. Uh, thank you, Alan. Uh, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. Uh, I had thought all week on how to do something to upstage Hollywood Horn in advance, and I couldn't come up with anything. So, <laughs> Well, uh, you know, we love Joe Horn. He is, like I said, uh, probably the legend of legends when it comes to uh, – the New Orleans Saints, but tonight is all about the Valentine's Day pose, my brother. Well, thank you. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we can call me an extra rose uh, in the in the dozen that all the women hopefully got out there. But uh, I, li I like to plug all week. <laughs> well, that was all <laughs> Mr. Ulrich's idea. Uh, he made a comment passing the other night, and I was like, "Oh, I got to write that down." So that that's all Alan's uh, Alan's call. No, 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 no. If anything, I was gonna be like, if if somebody starts breaking out the song, every rose has its thorn. I am leaving immediately. No, I am not listening to that. Um, yeah, because I I didn't anyway. hear that every year through high school or anything like that. So I could do without him. Oh song. yeah, I, I bet, I bet. Um, well, we are now. Excuse me. We are now officially in the uh, off season with the um, with the Super Bowl played obviously two weeks ago. So, and for those the who first were, the Atlanta Falcons lost. Yes, by uh, twenty five points. Anyway, <laughs> no, they gave up twenty five point lead. Sorry. Um, anyway, um, <clears throat> so what we want to kind of start talking about now is the topic that everyone's concerned about free agency who are the saints going to sign who should they sign who should who can be out there um who won't be out there at all uh and how much money we talk about the saints playing with um one of the things i heard on the radio on my way in uh from work today was that you know the saints are going to have about 30 million a little over 30 million to play with but the problem is it's only like 19th out of 32 teams in the league of having the most money with the Browns being number one, having over a hundred thousand dollars in salary cap space, you know? So even though we have more money than we've had in the past, we, it's going to be a, a seller's market, a buyer's market this year. They're going to have guys out there who are, uh, going to be in bidding wars, so the Saints aren't going to be in that great of shape to really compete in these kind of bidding wars. And you throw in the added mix of every year the best players out there seem to get taken and are tagged, I should say, as franchise players or as transition players or get signed before they even hit the free market. 
So with that in mind, Bob, who do you think, well, let's start with what are the three biggest positions of need in free agency that the Saints should address? And who do you think will be out there the Saints can get? Um, and I, I, think, I think it's more than three positions. Uh, I think the number one overall position, and every single Saints fan talks about it on message boards and everywhere else, edge rusher opposite Cam Jordan. And I, I don't think there's any doubt that that's the, their number one need going into the offseason, whether it's filled with free agency or draft picks or both. Um, I think uh, offensive line is still a big need with these guys. The line played a lot better last year than what I think anybody anticipated. Uh, but you still got to look at the age of these guys, especially on the right side. Uh, and the fact that there really wasn't any depth. And we saw that once uh, Teron Armstead uh, was basically um, a walking wounded for the year. Uh, the third position of need, I had it middle linebacker or inside linebacker, basically a sideline to sideline kind of guy uh, who can, you know, who can cover, uh, who can, uh, who can blitz when needed. Uh, I, I picked it middle linebacker over cornerback. That was close because I do think we have some young players at cornerback uh, that, have, you know, fingers crossed uh, if they're healthy and continue to develop, uh, we might be all right there. Uh, and, Exactly to your point, Alan, the Saints do have a lot more money than what they've had in recent years of cap space going in. And that's before anybody gets restructured or any cap casualty cuts or anything like that. Um, I, I don't concern myself a whole lot with the amount of money that, that they're advertising that they have out there right now, mainly because we know and for all the critics of Mickey Loomis aside, you got to say this about the man. He always brings in players. Now, the type of players he's brought in, that's what we can take a little bit of umbrage up with. But you know, you know he's going to bring in players. Um, I hope that they decide to target similar to what we saw last year to bring in a quote-unquote second-tier kind of guy like a Craig Robertson who I think was probably their best signing. Uh, Lord Sterling Moore was brought in off of the streets uh, after, uh, after all the cornerback injuries. Yeah, it, it's those kind of signings that are those kind of players, excuse me, that I've been kind of focusing on uh, as I've doing, been doing my, my articles position by position. Yeah, I, I know. Go ahead. I was just gonna uh, gonna say that um, Bob has been doing. For those of you who aren't aware, Bob has been doing a position by position analysis of the free agent market um, and how it could would possibly affect uh, the New Orleans Saints. And you can find that on uh, Canal Street Chronicles. And we'll we'll push that a little further as we go on into the show in a little while. Go ahead, Alan. I was just going to say, you know, and, and I have not really dove into the free agency stuff as of yet because, quite frankly, 
I, I really think that, you know, these teams are going to start slapping those franchise tags on every player out there and people are going to get mad. But, you know, like, you know, I hear a lot of buzz about Melvin Ingram. I personally don't think that man never ma- never makes it out to free agency. I think, yeah. um, you know, the Chargers are going to do what they can to keep that guy. And they're going to try Absolutely. and say, they have to slap a tag on him. They're going to slap a tag on him. But yeah. they're not going to give him up for nothing. They're not just going to let him walk. Uh, good teams do not let good players out the building. And, yes, the Chargers are a mess. Yes, the Chargers are cheap. Yes, they're, you know, they have no business being in Los Angeles. Nobody wants them in Los Angeles. But they can't afford yet another PR mistake by letting a guy like Ingram walk out. Yeah. Um, yes, they got Joey Bozer and stuff, but they can't afford to let star players walk out of that franchise. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they will never get out of, you know, the basement of the AFC West. Um, so with that in mind, I guess my big concern is, number one, what do the Saints do with Nick Fairley? You know, uh, do they let him get out the building and, and test the free agent market? And a, in this kind of market where the seller has a big demand, uh, has a lot to choose from because a lot of suitors throwing a lot of money at him. I, I think if the Saints fall into that trap and let him go out the building, he is going to jump out there and someone's going to offer him a contract that the Saints have no way of matching. Yeah. Uh, I agree. Someone, someone like the Falcons, someone like the Panthers, you know, somebody who it weakens a division, even, even Tampa, someone who it weakens the division, your division opponent, and it strengthens your team. And uh, if I'm Nicky Loomis, I'm thinking seriously about tagging him. I know people are going to think that's crazy. And no, you don't do something like that because that just ties your hands in free agency. But my attitude is you've got to not only bring in good players, but you have to keep your good ones. Nick Fairley is probably your best player that's going out there. That being said, uh, Bob, let me ask you this. Uh, In terms of the same potential free agents – what are the biggest, uh, I guess, for lack of uh, lack of a better word to use, what should be the the Saints' uh, biggest priorities as far as retaining uh, in free agency? Uh, Alan just said it. Nick Fairley is number one, number two, and number three priority. Because look at it this way. Uh, the Saints drafted Sheldon Rankins last year, and he, he really, he looks like he's going to be a monster. Nick Fairley came in, and, you know, when Rankins got healthy, the defensive tackle position was arguably one of the top two or three best positions on the team. Uh, and Fairley's still pretty young. I think he's 20, 28 or 29, so he's got a, good, a lot of good years left. Uh, if the Saints let Fairley walk out the door, I'm a big fan of Tyler Davidson, but he's not the same kind of player that Nick Fairley is. He's not going to bring that type of disruption. He's more of a, a uh, hold the point of attack kind of guy. Uh, very good against the run and getting better, but he's not the kind of disruptor that Fairley is, that Rankins is. 
So if they let Nick Fairley walk out of the building, they are back to square one at that position. And now all of a sudden, the defensive tackle becomes, if not the number one position to need to address again, then it's definitely in the top three. Right. I, I, I'm looking right now. I'm looking right now at uh, defensive tackles, and yes, you could probably get. Um, I don't know, a second-tier defensive tackle to put in the rotation with uh, Davison and uh, Onyemata. But you lose – Fairley was the number one pick of the draft in a top – what, top five pick in the draft oh, yeah. for a reason. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he's been inconsistent. But in a rotation with Rankins and with Davidson – you kept him fresh, and you kept him motivated. You kept you put a good carrot out there for him, you know. And he also knows he's only got one big contract left at his age. You know, yeah. this is it. Yeah. Um, so it's all these factors have to go into play. Personally, I like the idea of having a defensive line with a first round draft pick, then Rankins, then Fairley, then Cam Jordan. Yeah, I like that idea of having four number ones on that dra- on that line because sure you strengthen that front seven, you really have you, you've helped that secondary out. You can play average to a little above average corners back there, but you really need to fix that front seven. And by losing fairly, you put a pretty big hole in that defensive yeah. line. Yep, that you kind of fixed this past year. So yeah, here's your number one your number one need. And then, of course, I think a veteran guard uh, is the the first free agent that you bring in. You have to sign a veteran guard. I I mean, I know we don't know what's going to happen with Jari Evans. I'm assuming, perhaps incorrectly, but I'm assuming that he's coming back next, uh, next year. But even if he does come back, I, I just feel like you really need somebody in there that you can feel comfortable putting in at right tackle, right guard, or left guard, you know, uh, because Pete gave you a serviceable position as, as a guard, but that's really not his natural fit. And I like the idea of pairing a good young veteran in there uh, to kind of strengthen an offensive line. And now you have Pete as possibly, let's say Evans comes back, but you have Pete in the position now he can challenge uh, Streif on the right tackle side, or he is at third tackle that can help out with Armstead because Armstead's had knee problems for two seasons. So he hasn't played 16 games yet. Um, so, I mean, I, I just feel like that's your number one priorities. Uh, once, get, once you re-sign fairly, bring a guard in here, at least one guard. How do you feel I, about that? I, I think – to be honest with you, I, I've made no two ways about it. I, I probably one position above all others that needs to be addressed in the free agent market, and I'll get into why in a moment, but that's the offensive line. There's no greater urgency with a 38-year-old quarterback than keeping him upright. That being said, mm-hmm. if you address – the offensive line in free agency, you're talking about bringing someone in. You, you've you got film on them at this level. You you can uh, essentially plug and play. Uh, yeah. You're not 
dealing with a acclimation period where these guys have to acclimate their game or themselves to the speed of the league or uh, or anything like that, like you would with a rookie. Right. Um, and if there's, to me, when it comes to not only the free agent market, but is but uh, the draft as well. There's two factors that you have to have someone that is a big impact player and you have to have someone that's going to make a difference now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Who, who do you guys like at the uh, interior line? Well, there's three names I've been hearing a lot. Um, the first is uh, the, uh, the the guard from uh, from Dallas, Leary. Um, Leary. You know, Laurent Collins from uh, from LSU has got that's his job. Right. Um, and he he was in reserve most of the season last year, so Leary's kind of playing for a free agent contract there. So that's one uh, you probably can get him fairly cheap compared to the other two guys or the other guy I'm getting ready to mention, uh, the Bengals tackle, you know, guard, um, was it Ziegler? Yeah, Ziegler. Yeah, Ziegler, thank you. Yeah. And then the third one is uh, the Packers, TJ Lang. And I'll tell you why I like Lang. Um, I like Lang because he comes from a very similar offense as what we run. And – it's like how Sean was talking about plug and play. I mean, you could just drop him right in the line. He's going to fit in perfectly right there. Um, there's no <clears throat> no catch up, and you know what kind of play you're going to get. An outstanding pass blocker, and the Saints are a passing based offense. Um, with Larry, he's more of a power runner. He's a road grader. So, you know, you're going if you put him next to say uh, Streif on the right side. And you don't have Evans there anymore. You've got more of a, a dominant power running side on that side. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he how much of a pass blocker he's going to be. Uh, I know the Saints like to run a lot of screens and traps and things like that with a more mobile guard. Um, and that's what you've got when you when you have uh, a healthy Armstead. You've got a tackle who can pull out and run. Um, so maybe that's where, say, the Bengals guard fits in a little bit better. Yeah. He's a good run blocker and pass blocker who can move so that you can get that screen game going again. Uh, so, you know, it, there's all kinds of things. It's about finding the perfect fit for your offense. And, uh, you know, that's why I named those three guys. And I think that that first you get fairly before he even hits free agency right. market. You get him – either tagged or under contract before he hits free agency market. Then day one or day two, you come out with a guard. You've got to come out one of those top guards. And and I, I absolutely agree. Uh, to finish up on fairly real quick, I, I 100% agree uh, that they, they have to do whatever they can to get him locked up before he hits the market. Because uh, consider yeah. this. The pretty much consensus top two defensive tackles uh, that are going – that have expiring contracts – are uh, Don Terry Poe from the Chiefs and uh, uh, the short kid, Kwan Short from the Panthers. Chances are neither one of them are hitting the market, which mm-hmm. makes Fairly arguably the number one defensive tackle. You can't let him hit the market. If you do, you're probably not. You're probably going to lose him. 
Uh, if they do, though, a kid I love from Baltimore uh, at defensive tackle is Brandon Williams. Uh, he does a great job of clogging the middle. Uh, he's actually fairly disruptive if you watch some film. Uh, but again, that's only if that's only if you can't bring back Fairly. Let's say you do. Yeah. You know, you tag Fairly. You sign him. You know, pre-free agency. You, uh, you we, so we get that crossed off of the list. My first phone call, if I'm the Saints GM, is to Zeitler from Cincinnati. Uh, I just I think he's the kind of mauler athletic ability kind of mauler that would fit well in this offense. Uh, Peyton loves guys from the NFC or AFC North. Uh, you know, you look throughout his history of pre-agent signings. He likes to bring in guys from, you know, the, that AFC North division. Uh, Leary's been linked to the Saints for what, the last year and a half, first by trade rumors, mm-hmm. you know, now coming into free agency. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I have a feeling that those two guys will command similar contracts. I'd love to get one of the two. TJ Lang, TJ Lang's on the list uh, of guys certainly to watch, and I think guys that would fit well. You hit the nail on the head uh, when you said that uh, Green Bay pays, plays a similar style of offense. But when I look, uh, when I look at Aaron Rodgers, when Aaron Rodgers gets pressure, it seems to come up the middle. They run a lot of design rollouts with him. Uh, and I, I, I have to be honest, I haven't watched enough Packer offensive line, focused enough on the Packers offensive line to know whether that pressure is coming from you know, over TJ Lang's spot or whether the other spot. Uh, but I do know that they have Rodgers constantly up to move, and that's because of interior pressure. That's why Lang, Lang would be my third guy on the list that I'd go after. Well, you know, that, again, <clears throat> excuse me, you're, you're talking about, you know, when I, when I put him in, you know, a hierarchy, I'm also thinking about contracts and money spent. Loomis is good with, with constructing contracts that are backloaded and fans don't like it because that creates more and more dead money towards the end if you, cut, if you make a mistake and you have to cut these guys. But it gives you a break early on. So you're signing guys for big contracts, and they get their big signing bonus up front. So you're making up the difference. So you have a low cap number, but you've got a good signing bonus. So these players are getting their money, but you're paying for that signing bonus throughout the length of the contract. Right. And uh, that is something we're trying to – I don't know if we really want to get back into that kind of trap again unless we really feel – Good. These guys are going to stay healthy and and be contributors for a long time. Like uh, you know, the center Unger, right now. Um, my my third pick, and yes, I think linebacker is a problem because you really only have you have two and a half linebackers right now. You've got Craig Robinson, Nick Dupar, and. Ellaby, who's good for about five or six games, and Stephon Anthony, who can only play on two downs right now. And even then, that's kind of iffy. So, you know, you do need a linebacker, but I really want to bring in a good veteran cornerback. I want to bring back Sterling Moore as your fifth corner, but I want to bring in a veteran cornerback to challenge P.J. Williams and Devin Bro. Uh, Bro had a down year, but you could attribute a lot of that to the injury right. he had. Um, but as we saw this past year, 
the Grim Reaper went through that secondary and just took out five and six cornerbacks. Let's have a veteran in there who, you know, who has a good history of being healthy, staying healthy, a young player who has some veteran experience who can fit in that man-zone kind of defense that we like to play. And, hey, you've now got a number two or number one corner to go with Delvin Burrow. And I think if you can get fairly resigned, a good strong corner and a good guard in the free agency class, you had a great off season. Oh yeah, going in going into the draft. That's not that doesn't mean that's all the players you're going to sign, but those are your three biggest needs that are filled right there. Now you can go into the draft with okay, I want to get a defensive end, I want to get a linebacker, and I can start going. You know, kick returner, uh, young guard, uh, young tackle, maybe. Uh, you know, you start going into – you start now working on your depth, trying to rebuild your depth. You can trade back. Uh, hell, get a wide receiver, a tight end, something, you know, where you can start building up your depth so you're now the bottom half of your roster isn't full of guys that are street-free agents. Right. And I think that that will be a good offseason for us this year. I, I think that – um. Oh Lord, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good point to make if I could have just held on to it. Um. Uh. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. But do you think there's any um? Any potential, I, I don't know, difference makers that the Saints could possibly land in the free agent market? Uh, just kind of the outer fringe players, if you, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there's a handful. Uh, going back to Ed Rusher, uh, I, I agree. I don't think Melvin Ingram is going to hit the market. Uh, and if he does, he's really only had one breakout season. I, I, had no, I have not been a fan of Ingram. Uh, although he did have a heck of a year last year. Uh, a kid I love at that position from the Houston defense is John Simon. Simon doesn't have he, – uh, he's from Ohio State. I think he's been in the league four years. Uh, he's, he's an athletic guy, somewhat limited in pass coverage. Uh, his forte, if they, you know, any team that brings in John Simon, or, uh, John Simon would want him to rush the passer. Uh, and it, like I said, he doesn't have great sack numbers, but he, he has shown some good ability. He has, uh, he's had some good quarterback pressures. Uh, he's, he's a young guy, uh, 20, 26 years old. Um, so I wouldn't expect that he would command an extraordinarily high salary, even with edge rushers being at, uh, such a premium. Uh, that's my favorite at, uh, at edge rusher. Uh, we've already talked about the the offensive lineman. Um, How about cornerback? Cornerback? I, Not quarterback. Cornerback. Okay. Uh, I I <laughs> love the Bowie kid from uh, from uh, the Texans from Houston. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if he hits the market, somebody's spending a small half of Fort Knox to bring him in. Uh, like yeah. I don't think that that's an option. Uh, Logan Ryan from the Patriots. Um, I'm 50-50 on him. Number one, he came from New England, which scares me. 
Can any mm-hmm. of the three of us think of anybody that's left that franchise and excelled after they've left? In other words, is it, is it the system or not? Uh, yeah. But Logan Ryan has played well in a lot of big games. So, I mean, that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, Prince of Mukamara, uh, and I apologize if I butchered that name. Uh, I was a fan mm-hmm. of him coming out of the draft out of Nebraska. Uh, he played well for the Giants most of his career. He has a long injury history, though, uh, you know, which yeah. scares me. Yeah. Um, that, those are the names that really jump out to me cornerback-wise. Um, well, go ahead, Sean. I was going to let you go first. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, actually, I'm looking up somebody right now because I don't want to say this guy. Actually, then- um. To be honest with you, I, I was going to transition into our next little uh, our next little segment there, um, well, where we we've been doing our positional analysis over the, the uh, over the course of the 2016 season, which just happens to uh, to coincide with what Bob's talking about here with the offensive line. Um, well, you, real you, quick, you two guys. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Y'all go. Y'all go. I, 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 there's two names I want to throw out real quick, though. Go ahead. Um, Tremaine Johnson, the cornerback from the Rams. I like him a lot because he's an ideal cover corner. Yeah. Uh, and that's something we really have lacked. He's not a good tackler. He's not very physical, which is ironic coming from a, uh, a Greg Williams defense. But, you know, I don't know how the Rams are going to approach him because of that. You know, he misses some tackles. Uh, but, you know, for the Saints, he would fit in well because he's a good physical cornerback. He doesn't tackle, but he's a good cover physical kind of cornerback. And then yeah. um, probably get roasted over the coals for this because people hate this team and hate free agents coming from this team. But Stephen Gilmore from the Bills – He's 26 years old. He was a really good cornerback until he got in the Buddy Ryan, I mean, uh, Rex Ryan and Rob Ryan defense. And then he really declined this past year, but everyone does. Um, I think, you know, here's another good cover corner. Um, He's not as good, obviously, as some of the other names we've mentioned, but he has an upside. And, I just keep going back to Javari Greer. Javari Greer was a guy that uh, McKelvin replaced over in Buffalo, and they let him go for practically nothing. And the Saints picked him up, and he was immediately probably the best uh, cover corner we had since Mike McKenzie. And, uh, you know, if we can get a a similar type of player out of Gilmore, there's somebody who probably won't break the bank for us be a good veteran addition and somebody who can play, you know, as at number two corner, you have Delvin Burroughs, your number one corner, and now you can have P.J. Williams play that nickel, um, rotate in. You don't have to throw him out there right away and let him see if he can stay healthy. I mean, he's missed two seasons in a row, uh, basically, except for two games, uh, what, 16 and 14, 20, 30 games, you know, over the yeah. past two seasons, uh, you know, you don't know what you're going to have with him. So we're really one injury away from going right back to, you know, 
street free agents playing the position. So those are two guys I wanted to throw out there real quick and let fans roast me over the coals for mentioning Stephen Gilmore and the Buffalo Bills. But uh, Well, let me ask you guys, now that you bring it up, Alan, uh, there's two names on, on the, uh, the Saints' depth chart that – um, I mean, um, all things considered, these guys, uh, you, you you get one end of the spectrum to the other in terms of what people see as what will be for these two guys, and that's P.J. Williams and Damon. What do you guys see as uh, what likely could happen with the two of their futures? Uh, Swan... Um, he was a borderline cut this yeah. past uh, preseason. Uh, he had lacked the aggressiveness since he had those three concussions back to back. So I I don't know what you're going to get out of him. Uh, I I think it's foolish to count on him. Um, it, it, you know it's like counting on uh, Kyle Wilson right now. I don't know if we're going to get out of Kyle Wilson anymore. I mean he was a former bust who excelled as a nickel corner for the Saints. But, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to get out of these guys. And as far as P.J. Williams, you know, he was a first-round, projected first-round draft pick before he got in some trouble with the police. Um, and he fell to the fourth round. But he's got the size and the skills. And he actually looked pretty good uh, in both preseason and against the Raiders and for – what five plays, six plays against the uh, the Giants? So I mean, you've got a lot of potential, with Williams. The problem you have with Williams is, you know, he's had two years where he's been missed, you know, thirty games, like we just said. Yeah. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get. Now, and... I'm, oh, I'm okay. sorry to interrupt you, but just to clarify, uh, with Swan, it's a it's a question of concussions. I understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, with P.J. Williams, his first season that he missed was a, a, a knee injury and then a concussion, correct? Yeah, he had a – he had well, it was a torn hamstring, my understanding. But, uh, yeah, he, he missed the whole season. He got injured in preseason in, in, uh, in a practice, and he missed – he didn't play hardly at all in preseason either. So he came back this past preseason and played fairly well. I mean, he looked like a good, solid number two corner. And I think the yeah, Saints had a lot of – they had enough confidence in him to uh, to let Cal- uh, let uh, Keenan Lewis go and go ahead and bite the bullet on that contract uh, because they, they said, we don't have to wait for you to get healthy, which ended up being the right thing to do because he never played it down in football right. all year. But, um, you know, it, it's – again, every year we seem to be talking about this. Okay, when so-and-so is healthy, when so-and-so is healthy. You know, two years ago it was Jairus Bird. When Bird is healthy, you know, now we're talking about the corners, when the corners are healthy. And, you know, again, that's why people cringe at the idea of mentioning any player from the Buffalo Bills. But we, we it's, it's time now <clears> – <throat> to get some good starting free agents and let some of these younger players build your depth back up again. Yeah. Um, you know, we have to build up this depth. So if we lose a Delvin bro, if you, if we get Gilmore and the Buffalo curse happens again, the guy gets hurt. You now can have, you can put PJ Williams in the spot. You're not relying on PJ Williams. And then 
he gets hurt, and here we are with Kyle Wilson, Damian Swan, Sterling Moore, you know, B.W. Webb, those kind of players coming in, Ken Crawley, all that stuff. You know, you, you're trying to – let's get our good players now to be part of your depth as well. Let's not have your depth basically be all street-free agents or undrafted free agents. I agree. Uh, I, I like Tremaine Johnson a lot too. Uh, I am not sure with Wade Phillips being the, uh, the defensive coordinator uh, for the Rams now. Uh, I, I'm not sure that Phillips, if he has any say-so in the way he's going to set up his own defense – uh, and mm-hmm. Lord knows he has the track record. I'm not sure Trumaine Johnson hits the free agent market. Uh, Gilmore, again, the Buffalo curse aside, uh, Gilmore wouldn't be a bad pickup. But I don't know. Do you think that they'll let him walk out of Buffalo? Because uh, remember, uh, isn't McDermott the head coach there now? Buffalo is such a train wreck. Oh my God! I, yeah. I, I can't predict any. I can't predict anything they're going to do. I mean, they really, you know, they could get the attitude. You know what? We're starting over. We're just going to wipe the slate clean, and we're going to do like Cleveland and tear this entire roster apart and start from scratch and build a program. I mean, uh, I, I have no idea what Buffalo is going to do, and you know, I really. Uh, I've been sucked into these arguments over, and this is kind of taking it on, on, a, on a different train of thought, but I've been sucking into these arguments between <laughs> who's the better guy, Tom Brady or Joe Montana? And I keep saying, you know, two different eras, two different, you know, two different kinds of football were played back then. And yeah. one of the things I keep pointing out to people is that Montana had to face <coughs> Joe Gibbs Redskins, Mike Dick as Bears, Bill Parcells Giants, Buddy Ryan's Eagles, even the Dome Patrol. You know, he had a a far tougher road to the playoffs than Tom Brady in his own division has to face the Buffalo Bills, which is a clown car. You know, uh, the New York Jets, a dumpster fire. You know, the Miami Dolphins can't get out of their own way half the time. You know. Most of the teams in the AFC are picking in the top five of the draft every year. Jacksonville, Cleveland, you know, Tennessee was. Tennessee seems to be turning around. Now the Colts are falling back. You know, yeah, the Jets, the Bills. You know, it's the same teams over and over and over again. And they're they're just cycling through coaches, general managers. They're cycling through players. They draft the wrong quarterbacks. They do everything wrong. So Tom Brady, conversely, always faces the same four or five teams in the playoffs. He faces, you know, the Baltimore Ravens, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Denver Broncos. It used to be the Indianapolis Colts when Peyton Manning was around. He didn't – Miami Dolphins. Yeah, well, I mean, he he doesn't face um, – he doesn't have to face a Seattle Seahawks team. He doesn't have to face – in the playoffs I'm talking about. He doesn't have to face – a Saints team. He doesn't have to face an Atlanta, Carolina, you know, uh, a Giants team in the playoffs. He doesn't have to face those teams every year, the Packers every year in the playoffs. You know, you look at, you think about the NFC championship versus the AFC championship and how many different teams have been in those championship games year to year to year. And 
compared to, to, to the Patriots. So, and that's not to take away anything from Tom Brady when he accomplishes and what Bill Belichick has accomplished. Bill Belichick is probably the best, arguably the greatest coach in football history, but because he's done more with less, but Tom Brady at the same time faces a lot of the same kinds of teams that he beats regularly. He doesn't face different teams every year. And that's just that that that's just my opinion when it comes to that stuff. Well so that kind of takes I, off our time. I agree completely. I, I, the lack of competition has basically ensured that the New England Patriots have been in the AFC championship game year after year after year after year. Uh mm-hmm. Uh, like, it's a lot like how the AFC was in the 80s, where it was, you know, the super quarterbacks were all in the AFC in the 80s, except Absolutely. and the tough defenses were in the NFC. Yep. Yeah. So you'd have these great quarterbacks having to face these great defenses in the Super Bowl of the year, and you put a good quarterback or a great quarterback with a great defense, and they were blowing out teams. So, and that's what you ended up with a lot in the eighties. Well, um, well obviously, I mean, you look at the, at the uh, well, for lack of a better way of explaining it, you look at the uh, the course of progression there. You first, you have to dominate your division. Mm-hmm. Who are the Patriots in division with? Uh, Dolphins, um, Jets. Bills and Bills. That's it. Okay. Just those four teams. Okay. That's that's a cakewalk, basically. Yeah, that's uh, six wins. It's essentially six wins every year. You're you're, you're halfway there. Teams, you're talking about three teams that basically vie for the top draft pick every year. Okay. Yeah, six yeah. wins. Six wins. So you need four more, and you got ten wins for the season. You can go four and six over the rest of the uh, over the rest of your schedule, and you're, you're ten and six, and you probably won the division. Absolutely, you know, and and it's a it, it sounds like you're belittling these guys because they are winning eleven and twelve and thirteen games a year. You know, they're not that bad. But who are the who are the other teams that are playing? The other teams that are playing are teams that are probably going to end up picking to high in the draft every year. You know, you're playing. Believe me. Um- Full disclosure, I don't discount the ability or the, the I, I don't know what word to use, of, of the New England Patriots. Don't get me wrong. Uh, they're a class organization, and they <laughs> have... <laughs> Go on. You couldn't let me get away with that one, could you? I could not. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, I'm yeah, going to get a text I, I message know. on this later. Uh, okay, full disclosure. Let's start over. Full disclosure. Uh, they're consistent. Yes. The uh, the model they in terms of the 32 teams in this league, the New England Patriots are the model of consistency. They're in yeah. every every and, yeah. last season. And, and you give Belichick, you give Belichick two weeks to work on a game plan. He's going absolutely. to beat most teams in the uh, in the playoffs and, and the Super Bowl. And if oh, you yeah. remember when I was 
breaking down when we you and I were breaking down the Super Bowl on this show. Mm-hmm. The one point that I made was that you get uh, as well as Atlanta has been playing in the recent uh, couple of games. You cannot discount the fact that you give a coach like Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for this team. And if you'll remember, the point that I made was that you give Bill Belichick two weeks to prepare for any team, Mm -hmm. and he's more than likely going to come out triumphant in that that endeavor. Yeah. Well, and Atlanta, you know, as we all making fun of Atlanta, let that game get away from them. Uh, (laughs) At the same time, yeah, at the same time, Belichick saw an opening and he took it and he won with it. Uh, you know, so uh, Atlanta was on its way to a, a huge win, and they made the mistake and let uh, and let them let New England give give New England an opening, and New England jumped through it, both feet in, and before you knew it, the game was over. They have won. And, oh, and um, can I just add? <laughs> oh, I know. Okay, I know. Well, and um. Sean, I, I well, I know, I know you guys uh, wanted to move on to the next topic before we got on this yeah. one. I, I'll only say three things about the Patriots. Uh, well, again, full disclosure, you have to admire, admire, and respect what they do. Absolutely, ignore, absolutely, do it. Bill, sure. Bill Belichick is the Emperor Palpatine of the NFL. <laughs> Period. End of story. Always, they are. <laughs> a master and an apprentice. Right. Well, and you know, Tom Brady's is Darth Vader. Now, the three of us grew up watching football in a completely different era, like you said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tom Brady is – Tom Brady's numbers will put him right up there with the best of all time. Having said mm-hmm. that, I have always said he could not play in those other eras. He just couldn't have. Couldn't have. In my opinion, there are only three quarterbacks in the league playing right now that could have played in any era. And that's a conversation for a different time. I know it. Yeah. Uh, and then the third thing I'll say is I believe the Patriots came down from 25 to beat who in the Super Bowl? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So let's, let's jump ahead because I kind of went <laughs> on a tangent, but I get sucked into these arguments like that. And I'm, you know, I've got a lot of history knowledge when it comes to the NFL. So I, I, I throw a lot of facts and statistics <laughs> at people, um, especially when they belittle, you know, the teams in the past saying they weren't good enough athletes and things like that. And, you know, that really pisses me off because it's, <laughs> you can't, you, you know, the hall of fame then is full of guys who weren't very good athletes. Guys, get off our lawn. So, yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, so let's talk about the offensive line a little bit more. The Saints offensive line. We talk about the need for a guard, uh, regardless if Streif and Evans comes back. Um, I think they do both come back for one more year. I think we're tempting fate, though, if we think that both of them can play at that high level or a high Absolutely. enough level. Absolutely. So that's why I feel like we should still go out there and get a guard. And if Streif comes back, hey, plug this guy in at left guard and, you know, let Pete roam. Let Pete 
challenge Streif at the right tackle, if he loses the job, it's not a sin because keep in mind, Armstead was playing on a bad knee. Again, just like with the cornerbacks, where, again, one injury away from Armstead being back on the bench and yep. Pete at left tackle. So let, I'd rather have too many good players than not enough. That's just my attitude when it comes to your offensive line. Um, I agree completely. Uh, Alan, let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you see Pete finding a, a quote-unquote home on the offensive line this year? And by that I mean, uh, for those of you who aren't aware, Pete, uh, over the course of uh, training camp, uh, preseason football, he played basically – with the exception of possibly center, he played every position along the offensive front. Do you see him more or less settling into a uh, a home position? Not unless you beat somebody out right now, uh, or if they get stuck and don't find a good guard, and, and Evans doesn't come back, then he's back at left guard again. Um, yeah, I, you know he. There is no spot for him right now, uh, and that's not a knock on him. Um, it's you've got Armstead. He he showed his best play at left tackle, and Armstead yeah. is your left tackle. Um, I don't know if he's ready to push Streif out on the right side yet. I don't know how that we won't know that until training camp. Um, but with those guys on the edge, you don't know how good they're going to be over the course of the season. So it's not a bad thing to have a guy like like Pete able to plug him into every spot on the line to fill in a hole. I, I felt much safer having Pete at left tackle or Pete at left guard than seeing uh, Kelamente or Lolito out there because when those guys showed up, that was the weak link. That was the problem yeah. on the offense. Uh, well, let me ask you this, Alan. Uh, I saw a report earlier today where Lolito and Jari Evans were given the same grade on a um, – oh, Lord, I, I can't remember the, the technical term I'm looking for. But they were basically given the same grade as far as importance on their offensive unit, which is – It's just pro of, football focus. Just this is re- a pro football focus grade. I refuse to answer that. I, I, hate, that it might I hate those guys. So do I. I hate those guys. I, I really do because, you know, that I, grading I system. Think a, I think it's a flawed process because there is, yes. there is no planet that I live on, nor have I ever lived on for those lifetimes before this one. Um. <laughs> Where uh, Tim Lolito would ever, 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 ever equate to the same uh, level of play that Jari Evans produced on the offensive line this year. And saying that, um, I I believe Lolito is gone. Uh, Oh, I I think so too. Um, The only thing I. If I remember correctly, He's already uh, gone so far as to tweet out the message that he he was Detroit bound. He did, uh, uh, like yeah, he did. Ago. 
Yeah, he did. But, you know, uh, Detroit can get in trouble with tampering then, you know, that kind of stuff because they're not supposed to do that. You know, it, even if he is going there, you know, it, it's it, it's the, the rules are written a certain way that you can't make any moves until you're officially into the new league year and you can't get in touch with players because it's still technically under contract. So, you know, Sean that could Payton be a problem. said, if y'all just take him, we won't press charge. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we'll take him. We'll, we'll, we'll swap him for an Etzel. You know, go ahead and uh, <laughs> go ahead and uh, take him. Look, I mean, I'll let Bob go on this, but I can't stand pro football focuses or uh, you know grading system because I don't understand that methodology. They don't explain that methodology. They throw a bunch of metrics out there and say, "Well, this is how we come up with it," but when you just eyeball the film. And you're looking at the footwork, and you're looking at a guy getting beat. He's in bad position. He has horrible leverage. I I cannot sit there and say, yeah, but if you grade him on these metrics, he matches up with one of the best guards in the league. I, I just don't see it. I'm not saying Evans is one of the best guards, but I think they put some kind of statistic out that according to their grading metrics, the Saints offensive line was better than the Dallas Cowboys offensive line. You know, if that's the case, uh, I guess they're based in Colorado, you know, because they've been smoking something to come up with those kind of those kind of metrics. I, I'm so not going to. I mean, I'm not going to say by any stretch of the imagination that Jari Evans was anywhere, even remotely uh, close to being top tier of offensive linemen in the league. Well, he's not. He's not up to his old standards, but no. he was better than Lido. He was uh he was a very solid guard, um, but but by he played very well. To a to um, for lack of a better way of putting it, I guess to assume that Tim Lolito was performing at the same level as Jari Evans does Jari Evans a huge disservice in my opinion. Yeah, I mean Bob, uh, I mean how do you see the offensive line shaking out? Uh, I agree with you. I think Jari Evans will be back unless for some reason he decides to retire and he's given no indication that he's going to do that. Uh, Pete, I'm on record a lot as saying I was not a a fan at all of their drafting of Andrus Pete two years ago. Uh, As far as, uh, you know, Sean, you were kind of wondering out loud if he has a home currently on the offensive line. As it stands right now, no. Uh, he's, he's been given a chance now twice to beat out Streif, uh, and he hasn't done it. Even as poorly as Zach Streif played two years ago, Pete couldn't beat him out. Uh, Pete did play best at left tackle, no doubt, this past year, uh, and he needed to. That's exactly where they needed him to play his best, and he did. Uh, Agreed. But assuming, uh, right, and assuming Armstead returns to health, and we can we can all knock on wood that you know that that'll come true. Uh, Pete will have a hard time fitting in as a starter uh, on this line if big if, but if they go out and get an interior lineman like we were just talking about a few minutes ago. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think by doing that, Pete could be one of the better swingman offensive linemen throughout the league. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that because, and, yeah. you know, that, that's, that's going to piss people off because it's like you wasted a first-round draft pick 
on a on a third you know a swing tackle or a third tackle, but given the injury history of this this club, you need that. You really do. Absolutely. Oh, on any offensive line, how many how many of the thirty two teams have their offensive linemen go through all sixteen games completely intact? Only <clears throat> this team, but uh, only if, only the only Falcons. Atlanta. Only the Falcons. Yes, only Atlanta uh, was able to do that all year. And uh, I doubt well, that let, sure. let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, and I understand completely that this is strictly going to be um, a matter of subjection. But um, does Teron Armstead, is he able to return to the lineup uh, 100% and return to the form that he had uh, a year ago? You asked me. You would ask me this uh, before training camp last year. I would have told you absolutely. But um, right. that that knee injury hung around all here this this past season too. So I have no idea. I don't know. Um, if it's a chronic knee problem, then no. And uh, knees, you know, you're an offensive lineman with bad knees. You're not going to last long. It's like being a running back with bad knees. Um, Especially as athletic of a tackle as Armstead is, yeah. I mean it, that's a real concern. So you know, if if Armstead can't come back, then there's where Pete belongs. Is at your left tackle spot, and there's where he's going to find his own. Um, yeah. So I don't know. We won't know until they put the pads on in Metairie this year, and he starts out there, and we'll see how many practices he he participates in. You're right. That's, and a, they, that's a question. They might very well um, go extremely easy on his reps, uh, definitely through mini camp and probably well into training camp. Worried about that exact kind of thing. Uh, I mean, yeah. age-wise, he's still a young guy. Uh, but on, on yeah. both of you guys, you know, the knee injury back-to-back years and the fact that it didn't go away. Uh, and didn't, didn't he have to start – didn't he start to have a lot of problems with his hip last year too? Yes. Yeah, but I think that was because he was compensating for the knee. Probably. Um, yeah, so it, it, it kind of runs in tandem there. So it, it's – yeah, and I mean, you don't know what you're going to get. And again, there's another player, another position where you're like, okay, can he be healthy? Because if he's not healthy, that adversely affects the Saints' fortunes. And it's these injuries – and the lack of depth that's hurt this team for three years. Well, um, I, I think it goes beyond uh, what you just said to the point of uh, directly affecting the offseason strategy. And by that. Oh, did he freeze? Yes, he sure did. He's going to pop in again as soon as I start talking. But right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does because, you know, this team on paper doesn't have as many holes as we as fans see. No. Because because of the injuries, because of let's see if this guy can come back. I mean, there's holes at cornerback, there's holes at linebacker, there's holes on the offensive line just because you you haven't had that depth. Uh, And this is where – four years of bad drafting yep. from 2010 to 2014 have impacted your team because not only 
have these guys been bust, but they're not even on the roster. You know, they can't even play as a backup role for anything. So using free agents to fill in these holes, and that has hurt you. And that's why you've been 79 in 2014, 2015, you know, and even 2016. You've been 79 because you have not had the complete team that you had in 2009 through 2011 when you right. had it. Look, he's back now. Well, you had enough depth. Yeah. You, you were hole. talking back about me while I was gone, weren't you? That's right. We had this frozen image. I was going to say, Sean, Sean Williams doing the mannequin challenge. Sean Williams tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, well, so, you know, it's, a, it's a dirty job. Somebody <laughs> should do it. <laughs> well, we, uh, we're, we're just about at the end of our time here. Um, you've got uh, some important dates you want to bring up, Sean? Yes, um, three dates in particular. I want to uh, the key dates as far as the uh, the NFL calendar go. We're only going to go about three deep on these as we continue to uh, to remind everyone along the the, the way here. Um, February fifteenth will be the first day that teams will be able to designate franchise or transitional players. February 28th through the uh, March the 6th will be the NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, February, uh, excuse me, March 9th will begin the free agency period. Uh, and as we all know, April the 27th through the 29th will be the NFL draft. Bob, brother, uh, I consider myself to be very blessed and uh, very fortunate to be able to call you a friend. Uh, you're, you're a buddy of mine, and uh, I thank you for that. But um, I knew this giant me, butt coming here. Excuse me, I don't mean to slobber on people. Um, <laughs> above and beyond that, if you would let everyone know how they can follow you and your work, please, sir. Uh, th thank you, Sean, and thank you, Alan. I, I consider both of you friends of mine, too, uh, and I'm, I'm blessed to have you know, two great guys in my life uh, that's helping me along do, uh, through this. Uh, so thank you both for that. Um, but uh, but you can you can follow my stories on uh, on Facebook uh, or on uh, on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is uh, at Bobby R twenty six thirteen B O B B Y R two six one three. I do uh, am part of the Canal Street Chronicles right now, uh, so you can join them on Facebook as well, uh, or uh, directly join Canal Street Chronicles itself as a follower at canalstreetchronicles.com uh, or at Saints CSC, uh, and there's a there's a lot of great writers that I'm learning things constantly, uh, and uh, they they have some good stuff. That, you know, every single one of them has some good stuff. So yeah, if you're a Saints fan, if you're a football fan, join them, follow them. You won't be sorry. Um, and, and I just want to reiterate, uh, if free agency is something that interests you at all whatsoever, um. Our, our man Bob here has done a fantastic series of articles dedicated 
completely to the free agency question and uh, market as it pertains to the New Orleans Saints. And that they can all be found on the uh, Canal Street Chronicles. Thank you. Bob, brother, thank you so much for being a part of our show, brother. Gentlemen, I thank thank you. I I thank you for great. What's that, Al? And and I was going to say, absolutely, you know, as we get closer to the draft and the scouting combine and everything else, we, of course, are going to try and get you back on and talk about, you know, the Saints will start making some moves in free agency. We want to get a lot of feedback from a lot of people about what they think about what the Saints did, what they didn't do. And, um, yeah, so we're definitely going to get you back on again. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. Bob. Thank you, guys. All righty. Okay, so we just got a couple of minutes left. I was just making sure we've taken care of all the house. What are you doing? I didn't do anything. Oh, uh, no, I got Bob popping and disappearing. and uh, <laughs> It's the guest that won't go away. <laughs> no, we uh, I think we, we pretty much covered everything. And, um, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have Joe Horn on again, obviously. Uh, so, guys, follow us on Twitter. Uh, hit us up on Facebook. Uh, any questions you want us to ask Joe Horn, anything you want Joe to talk about, um, you know, relate uh, his days when as a Saints player. I think you always wanted to tell Joe what he what his time meant to you. Because I'll tell you what, this man um, he's not from New Orleans, but New Orleans is uh, embraced him, and he's embraced the city. Uh, he loves the city. He loves the Saints fans. Uh, I heard on a podcast earlier today that uh, his Super Bowl ring is a Superdome um, because that's his home. And uh, so please share your stories with Joe. We'd love to share them with him, let him hear what the fans think of him. Um, I, can and, tell uh, you guys, I can tell you guys that um, in, de- in, in trying to secure this, uh, this guest, I've been fortunate enough to, um, and, and I guess I can share this with you guys. Um, I'm sitting here the other day and the phone rings and I pick up the phone. Hello, uh, Mr. Williams, this is Joe Horn. And I, I can't tell you how that'll separate your head from your shoulders, but, uh, say that, uh, to New Orleans Saints legends, as it were, uh, there, you can count on one hand the number of, um, legendary players that might rival Joe Horn in terms of that, that top spot. Uh, we want to thank so much uh, Joe Horn, Terrell Bean uh, for, for facilitating this, uh, this opportunity for us. Uh, and, and like I said, we want to encourage you guys to go out and support the youth football league. Uh, Future, excuse me, Future Stars League. I, I apologize. And God Hands University. These are the guys that are sponsoring that uh, that uh, youth football league that, that we're supporting. Well, 
I was going to say prior to Drew Brees' signing in 2006, I would say that Joe Horn was the greatest free agent signing in the history of this Absolutely. organization. And I'm going, to relate this, I'm going to relate the story when Joe comes on. But, you know, I can remember vividly where I was when I heard the Saints had signed Joe Horn. I was driving home from work, uh, trying to listen to WWL in Lafayette, Louisiana, because that's where I was living at the time. And – you know, through the static and everything else, Mike Petillier said, uh, yeah, the Saints signed a free agent wide receiver from Kansas City, Joe Horn, and he is probably possibly being a, as a kick returner slash maybe fourth receiver. And if you remember the Mike Dicka era, uh, and that's era, E-R-R-O-R, um, <laughs> we, had the worst, we had the worst collection of receivers Probably since the John Meekham days, with early days with Archie Manning, um, it was just a horrible, horrible collection of receivers. Guys that couldn't run very good routes, that was slow. You had Brett Bash from LSU. You had Keith Poole. You had guys that just were not game breakers. So you signed Joe Horn, household name. And week two of the 2000 season against the San Diego Chargers, he went off. And from that point on, this is what it was like to have a Pro Bowl receiver. And he was uh, the most explosive receiver the Saints have had probably since the West Chandler days. Um, and definitely the most consistent receiver the Saints have had since the Danny Abramowitz days and Eric Martin days. Um, so, yeah. Last Pro Bowl receiver the Saints have ever had. Just a just an unbelievable, unbelievable human being. So I'm looking forward, really looking forward to having him on the show. Um, and, and and I'll I'll go so far as to challenge you this: each and every one of you to look for a player that has worn the black and gold, who has more exemplified exactly what. It means to be a New Orleans Saints player and who mm -hmm. lived that role day in, day out, uh, who more exemplified the meaning of what it meant to be a New Orleans Saints roster player, receiver Joe Horn. Yep. You know, certain guys, their numbers are identified with that player. You know, Danny Abramowitz, 46. Uh, Archie Manning, eight or well, 87 will always be Joe Horn to me. No matter who else wears Absolutely. that number, it will always be Joe Horn. So looking and, forward and to I'll, that. I'll go a step further. I, uh, me personally, and, and I felt this way for a long time. Uh, this it's no coincidence that, uh, him coming on the show, uh, 87 should no longer be an option for any player for the New Orleans Saints to wear because as far as I'm concerned, uh, there's no player anywhere, anytime that can wear that number and duplicate, much less surpass what Joe Horn did while wearing that number. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay, guys. Well, thank you, guys and girls. Enjoy the rest of your VD day. Um, uh, <laughs> VD day. And yeah, VD. Boy, Valentine's that, Day. That took that took a tragic turn. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, enjoy the rest of your Valentine's. I'm going to enjoy uh, 
what's left of mine. My wife had just come home. I think we just saw each other for about two minutes today, and that's about it. So, um, guys, have a good night, and we'll catch you next time under the dome. Good night, everybody. Thank you guys so much. We love you. See you next week.